Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hello, I am co-host Craig Campbell. I don't think I've ever called myself a co-host on the <laughs> show before. Um, but I own Nerdburger Games, and I make all sorts of uh, role-playing games as well. And we are here with our guest, as we are wont to do. And this time, it is Sebastian again. Hello, Sebastian. Welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me. I am Sebastian Yue. I use they, them pronouns. I am a full-time game designer, writer, and editor at Hitpoint Press. And I also take on freelance work as well. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming again. You know, the fact you stated your pronouns and I realized we haven't stated ours in a while, so I might as well also restate mine. I I use she or they pronouns. I I am a he him person. All right. So, Sebastian, thanks thanks again for coming on. I'm really excited to talk about what we're we're going to talk about because it's something I do often. I often prep to be a GM and then never end up playing the game, but you know, it's, uh, yeah. that's the story. Um, Craig, do you want to introduce our topic a little bit today? Sure. Um, it's a it's a topic that will have one clear and definitive answer that we will get to before the end of the episode. It will not turn into, well, it depends at any point, um, like so <laughs> many of our topics do. Um, and it's a uh, best way to prep to run a session as a GM. Like it's not the GMing in the moment, not GMing, you know, the, when the session's going on, but what do you do beforehand and what's the best way to kind of get yourself um, squared away uh, for running your game? Yeah. So uh, Sebastian, tell us, why did you choose this topic out of our list of topics and uh, what's your experience doing this? Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I think that actually of all the topics that I have discussed on this show, this one might actually be the closest one that has a definitive answer. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> I chose it because I have um, been like, I'm a kind of first time campaign uh, GM and I've run a bunch of one shots before. And so I've learned a lot in that process. And uh, it's just, it's, I just thought it might be interesting to come at it from the perspective of someone who hasn't necessarily like watched a billion like YouTube videos about his, how to be a GM or what have you. This is just something I've kind of picked up via trial and error. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever watched a YouTube video. No, on... I haven't. Like there's a lot of resources out there about how to be a, a good GM. And um, it, it, I mean, that's kind of where it gets to, well, it depends. So. <laughs> and, and literally that's what we've been doing with this podcast. Um, So that's, that's so funny that I've never actually consumed a lot of that media myself. Sebastian, where do you start when you're, when you're prepping to be a GM? Um, I think that like the first place that I would start is uh, my table uses a safety tool called stars and wishes. And so they tell me what they want to see in the upcoming session. And so I take the notes from that and include it in my session outline. And um, I have like a general outline of stuff. It contains like scenes that the players have expressed they wanted to have uh, scenes that I have ideas for and like important information that I should convey to them by the end of the session. Um, and that tends to be it really and everything else is up to the players. I have learned that like my games work best when I don't actually think of solutions and I don't go like oh if the players do this then this happens because they'll inevitably do like something that I haven't planned for and it just it's not a good use of my time to try and predict what they do. I like to have an open-ended problem and I'm like eh, I'm sure there's some way to solve this the party will figure it out like yeah. So when you talk about stars and wishes, because mm -hmm. we've, we've mentioned this before on the show too, can you explain what that process is like a little bit more? Yeah, um, I have a tool, uh, like a like the safety tool. I have a channel for it in my Discord uh, for the, the server for the campaign. And uh, so after every session, the players will tell me a thing that they liked about it and a thing they want to see. So the thing that they liked is the star and the thing that they want to see is the wish. And so the star could be anything like they liked a thing that I did. They liked a thing that the other players did. Um, it could be all of them. It can be as extensive as they like. It tends to be like, you know, kind of three to four sentences like total. And I like that you called it because it is a safety tool. A lot of us like our safety tools end at like here are things we don't want to see in mm. our game, our campaign. But I think also going into what we like to see and what we want to do, I think that, that can go a long way right. to make sure everyone feels supported and happy at the table. Yeah. And like, it's not necessarily a safety tool. It's just that like the way that my table uses it, it tends to be. But honestly, like I know that some tables use it as like a decompression thing and some of them just use it as a planning tool. So um, it really, like, I mean, 
you know, it depends on how you use it, I guess. But like the, the point is that it's very useful. It's a kind of useful framework to figuring out how to like where to go next. And you the do that for every session? Yes. The beauty of, of stars is also they are often sort of hidden wishes. So you're also kind yeah. of asking like a lot of times if a, per, if, a, if a player says, well, I like this. They want more of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it not always because sometimes it's very situationally specific. Like that's not something that's going to probably be repeated um, because it was dealing with like an NPC who's no longer part of the story or, you know, whatever. Yeah, sometimes but, it's like, oh, I really enjoyed but this oftentimes, combat. It was interesting. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll do more that, like that then. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll do more interesting combats. Yeah. <laughs> but I won't be able to replicate that one exactly. Well, I mean, will you, will you killed the funky little guy that I had, but sure, I can do another one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make something for you to kill. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people, some players really like when you are really mean to their characters too. Like I really liked when you emotionally damaged to me in that scene. Can you do more yes. of that? Yeah. Like it's like the, the characters would just kind of hand me a box of knives and then like tell me to stab them. And uh, yeah. that's my favorite thing. It's very fun. <laughs> like I, I like it when there's things to play with in the backstories. So um, I like the, also the way that my, that my game works is that we tend to do it in broad arcs. So uh, one character will, will be in a location that is relevant to them and they'll have their main business, but then I, I'll find a way to tie everybody into it. Um, and like there is a kind of slow overarching like main plot, but um, that's tend to, that tends to be how I do it. And so I will like read the backstory and figure out like, you know, who the NPCs are and where I can put them. And like that does factor into my planning as well. I enjoy playing in games like that the most where there is like, there like maybe one for, for one of the arcs one of the characters is kind of the the most important one so to speak like they it's their background being pulled in primarily they're the a plot here but everyone yes. else gets a b and c plot i love that i love being in the b and c plot too and just like having to try to support our friend like our friend is in danger our friend's family yeah. is, is evil and we need to save that like whatever it is i love being that person at the table so yeah same and like, and another thing that is kind of related to that is that um, it can be related to one player's background, but the most important thing is that all of the players have something that they can contribute, like they can use the skills that they have, they can use the way, like the character abilities and like contribute and advance the plot. Like, it's really important to me that everybody feels like they can contribute to a scene. Yeah. And you can pull out things from their backgrounds too, that are like maybe can, throwaway yes. lines or things that they yeah. did previously and pull those in other NPCs since you kind of have control over the NPCs figure out how they are all fitting in mm -hmm. um and yeah just I I feel like all of that kind of boils down to taking a moment after a session to regroup and think about like go back over your notes think about the characters think about all of their stars and wishes if you're doing stars and wishes and 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 just taking some time to reflect and come back to it that might mean taking a break, like a week break from a normal scheduled role-playing game. So you have some time to plan. We would we would play board games or do some other thing when we were doing that. So the mm -hmm. GM had more time to plan for later. Yeah. Mine runs every other week. So I tend to I tend to be okay. Um I like running it every other week. That's a good pace. That's a good pace yeah. too, because everyone's waiting and you're not too far out from the next session so you you still have that nice anticipation but it's also not like so far in the future that you're forgetting about it That's yeah a good definitely pace. it gives me enough time to plan because i honestly don't think that i could keep up with doing it every single week that's a lot what else goes into planning as a gm for like we're talking about schedules so let's let's talk scheduling what's that like as a gm Oh, honestly, um, I'm very fortunate in that I insist that we have a regular schedule. It's on the same, it's on the same day at the same time. And uh, if someone tells me in advance that they can't make it, I try to find an alternate day. If someone like cancels right before the session, I'm, I say, I mean, we record all of our sessions. So I say, well, I mean, I'm sorry, you can't play today, but I'm going to continue to run the session for the players that are here. And I will rearrange my plans accordingly. If I had anything planned for your character, we will wait until you come back. Um, because I personally don't like being the reason why other like why other players do not get to play the session. And so as a GM, I'm just like, I'm going to run it if there are sufficient players. So yeah, I think a regular schedule that it doesn't work for everybody, but mm -hmm. it's the best yeah, way I to just... make sure like yeah, carve out okay. that time for us. 
Yeah, seriously. It's just, it, it just makes things easier in terms of scheduling for everybody else. Um, I think that like the only issue you would run into is if, if like one of, I don't know, say one of the players has like a work schedule that they don't know in advance. Um, I would honestly very struggle to play with, uh, play with a table like that. So I'm fortunate that everybody I know has a regular schedule. If, if you have a group of players and maybe yourself included who are, who don't have you know, it's not as easy to just pick a day. Like it's going to be every, it's going to be every Saturday at this time, every two weeks, I heartily endorse. Um, and everybody kind of needs to buy into like, you're going to, you're going to fill this out and then you're going to, we're all going to hold to it is use something like doodle. Yeah. Like I love when to meet actually. I love when to meet. You give a bunch of options. You give them all a bunch of options and everybody says, I can make this definitely. And then they can also for, for time slots, they can say, I can I'm, I can probably make this, I can rearrange things if I have to, to make this. And then these are times I can't. And then you as the GM look at all that and say, okay, here's the spot where everybody can make it or re can rearrange things to make it. And that's the time you're going to make it for this two week period. We're going to play yeah. on that. And everybody has to be like, okay, everybody has to commit to that. That's going to happen. It's going to shift. And whenever the GM says, okay, this is the date we've all agreed we can hap make happen. Now we all got to make it happen. And then when you do have the people like, I think it's nice that you're you're rescheduling if someone tells you in advance. Yeah, but I, if they I like to play with everybody if possible. Yeah, I I think if you have a bigger table and you have more players, it is a little easier to take somebody out of the game. Like, oh, they are going to be like, here's their side adventure. Like they're just here, they're around. Like, I mean, they usually have, have like, you know, they'll, they'll usually be like, okay, well, I mean, if my character is like narratively here, here's what they'll be doing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we can like, we can say that happened. That's fine. Yeah. I know there are also like some people do write uh, supplements and like there's kind of there's like lists of reasons why your character might be absent <laughs> from like from a session and that kind of, like narratively and that kind of thing. So like if people are interested in that, they can find Oh, that's, find that's a smart little supplement. I like that. Yeah, it is. I've, yeah, I've had good. that with, uh, there was a, a game I ran at one point and there was one of the players knew that they would occasionally be dicey on everything, but they really wanted to play because they really wanted to play that particular game. So um, we concocted a reason for their character to kind of have this connection with the Fae. And like every so often, like it just made perfect sense within the storyline that the Fae just kidnapped them and hauled them off into to do Fae stuff. And then they came back. <laughs> And so it was easy to write them out just like completely randomly at just the weirdest times. I think it does depend on the game. It depends on the GM. Like Sebastian, you said that you like to play with everybody. Some people don't mind that you're taking a couple breaks. I used to play at a table where we had, and during whatever theater season, one of our players would sometimes have to be absent for our games when they would have a show or when they would have a late practice or late rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, and we knew that in advance. so the GM never made that character the central arc, like the central. Like during that season. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I know someone is going to be away or like working from another location, then um, yeah. Like just as long as I know in advance, I can do pretty much anything to plan around that. Another fun thing to do. Um, and this can work with like people who are absent or just for your characters in general. I always enjoy writing and reading character journals like this is what the mm. this is what's going on on the inside or maybe here's a here's a flashback to something that happened in their life before or like you can write up a journal and everyone can send them in maybe you have a forum or a discord page where everyone's doing that it can be a way to kind of build characters in between sessions yeah everyone yeah, everyone in my campaign has a has an individual character channel. Like, um, so if they, I think I talked about this, like when we talked about organizing campaigns and stuff. Um, everybody does have a character channel, so they are free to post anything they want in there. They can ask me questions. They can, uh, they can express like kind of secret wishes if they have for their characters that they don't want the other players to know about. Um, and so I will read everything that goes in the channel. Um, so that's kind of how I do that. That's also a good way, like, to get ideas for what you want to bring in. It's a like an ongoing yeah. character background. Yeah, exactly. And if I have questions for the player, I, I can just kind of slide into the, you know, into the channel yeah. and be like, "Hey, so your character did this thing. What's that about?" and uh, stuff like that. Oh, you've you've mentioned this person you've never mentioned before. Yeah. What do you mean? Can I use yeah. this Who person? Can I make them yes. an NPC? How can I how can I stab you with this person? <laughs> like <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I I really I've always just really enjoyed those. Uh, that's something that I took from my LARPing days. We you could do um, in between game session um, writings, and that would be a way for the 
like the GMs, like the game runners to come up with interesting plots for the LARP the next month we would be playing. Um, And it's also a way that people could, because you got like two in between game actions or something like that. And then they would also give you as a player plot hooks, like hints, Mm. hints and clues. Um, It's a good way to like put in rumors for the other players to put in maybe conflicting information between two people. Maybe to resolve some of the sneaky stuff people are doing without wanting the other players to know. Um, I think it works especially well in intrigue-based games, but it can work really in any game. Um, and and it's a way to to off off outside of the table without having to pass secret notes around, convey secret information to people, which can make it makes for a different game experience. It's something that I think you should talk to your players about if they like that kind of thing. Um, but I personally do. I love to get a secret info that I can act on or maybe keep to myself for the whole session and just kind of know. Um, my my GM would um, maybe sometimes even give us like, because he would use standees like for characters, had, had like a little uh, face printed off on them with a character name, would sometimes give us like faces like you saw this person and then they would show up in the next session. You'd be like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> it's that guy that I saw on the train. I'll say that's cute. Yeah. Little standy thing. Like it made it really easy because there were a lot of NPCs in that game, but sometimes it would be our GM like holding two standees and they'd be having a conversation. So you'd know who's who without him having to do a whole bunch of different voices. So yes. it was like playing, playing with dolls. I did like that. Yeah. <laughs> so s- scheduling, we talked about a little bit like the in-between actions. I feel like those are like, like that's, that's huge. Like that's yeah. so hard I mean, too. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. I think uh, sometimes, like, I mean, my a lot of my games now are online, and so, like, there's a different element of preparation that can happen, like, if there are any visuals you want, and you're using, like, a virtual tabletop, um, if the, if there's going to be a fight, and uh, I need to put, I need to, like, load in stats for the, for the other, for the hostile people, then, yeah, I'll have to do that before. I'll have to, like, find battle maps and stuff, um, and uh, I'll have to, like, make little icons to go on the tabletop. So there's that, but that's more of like an administrative thing. Oh, I think there's a lot of administrative stuff that you have to do as a GM. Yeah. Because you do, like, especially if you're playing in a game where you have stat blocks or monsters and things like that, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And you don't want to be sitting at the table flipping through the book back and forth. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, and if it's if it's online, like my favorite thing is that I can just kind of click a button right. and then it will spit out my, my dive result. So um, I need to have everything that's set up in there. But you still need to get that all set up ahead of time. And you yes, need to make I sure do. that the tech yeah. works. I need to kind of carve out some time and make sure that it works. So I'll kind of test all of the things and put the chat on private so then people can't see that I've been there testing like a thing that I'm going to throw at them. Yeah. yeah, and the more prep work you do ahead of time too, the smoother the game session goes and the less downtime there is because that time that you have at the table really is golden. You don't want to be not you don't it's not necessarily wasting time to make sure things are working at the table yeah but like it's just it's you know kind of right. adds up and it's like it's kind of you know it's minutes that the that the players aren't doing things they're just waiting for me to look stuff up right and uh, like a problem that I have run into is that I get really excited if I'm trying to like make up an original thing for them to fight and I'll get carried away and give it way too many options <laughs> and then I'll get to the fight and be like oh wait I don't remember what this thing did I it was really cool I remember it but uh, I made it at like 3 a.m yesterday and I don't know and so like I've started right down like a list of like you know if it get like just kind of bullet points of like what it's going to do on each of its uh turns then i don't even need to look at look it up i just need to find the action and put it oh yeah, yeah. like physically yeah. that could be in the form of a post-it note um on like your yeah like it's, or... it is a it's just a list in a physical notebook that i have like sitting by my computer so that's really helped oh i think yeah i think even if you are playing a game online having a physical reminder or physical journal is good because that way I have two screens. I have to switch between right? tabs. I right. do have two screens. Yeah, I mean, so I have my session outline on one screen, and I have have like the tabletop up on the other. But, so, but you always need something else. You you're always going to need something yeah, else. It was like another thing, <laughs> and yeah, like I have a billion tabs. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. I I do that as well. I mean, combination of things on screens because I've got two screens I'm looking at, but also like just post-it notes where I'll have like when I'm running a campaign, I got a post-it note that sits on the bezel of my computer that's like, here's all the lines and veils mm-hmm. right in front of my face all the time. Remember what the lines and veils are. Here's a little post-it note of like, here's we're we're doing a, a ticking clock situation where I've I've defined like this happens at this point, this happens at that point. It's just a reminder to put okay. Yeah, like if you're doing like a monster of the week situation or like a blades in the dog situation, then yeah, like that makes sense. 
And to speak a little bit to Sebastian, you mentioned like not trying to predict everything that the players can do. Mm-hmm. I've done that plenty. I've, I've done prep work where I've tried to predict all of that. I don't do it so much anymore, but there are certain times when I will not so much to prep to say like, well, now I've got a plan. If the players do A, I do X. If the players do B, I do Y. It's because it gives me the opportunity to look at the complexity of what 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 might all happen and just have a bunch of different outcomes that are interesting that I could potentially mix and match in other places. Like if I've got five, if I've tried to predict five things the players to do and they're going to pick number six, I've still got five outcomes that I can take that one or parts of these two or kind of, you know, and work that in there. And it works. It helps me quite a bit if there's a complex situation where if it's like a, um, like a ticking clock, anything that's like ticking clock, or there's like certain events that are going to take place at certain times where you've got, you know, a heist where like, if they don't get to this point by the, by, by this time, what happens if they don't get to this point by this time, what happens? Like, when is the alarm sounded? How does the, you know, what, you know, all those sorts of things is, is, but thinking about those potential actions and consequences um so that i you know just so that i've got i've thought about them and then i like like sebastian and jess are both saying is like you know make notes of it in some way shape or form whether it's um your own you know like just a little abbreviated bullet point list or or something more robust that you can refer to um depending on how fastly you assimilate and <laughs> bring information yeah, into like the game how, like if, yeah. if you're somebody who can look at a, a full page of yeah. eight point font and just like pull out the pieces you need like got a brain that works that way go yeah, for good it. for you go, yeah. go for it if you need if, if you need you know a, a, a post-it note with six bullet points and that's that's like as much as you're going to want to deal with then like find those great six bullet points but i do i do examine those sorts of things for certain types of um encounters like you know big set pieces that are going to be complex i think also figuring out like what are the npcs doing like if you're fighting a group of evil bad guys what are the evil bad guys doing behind the scenes and like thinking of the timeline as the session is going um even if that ends up changing because of what the players do just having an idea of it's 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 like your own stars and wishes for your for your npcs like what do they want what are they what are they up to yeah i think i mean yeah every good npc has to have a motivation and like a reason for existing um so yeah it makes the agree. world feel really real and not even just the yes. npcs but the world itself um like in the means of magic the world is really important it's a climate change allegory so what's the world doing what disasters are happening where are they moving how are people reacting to those and just like planning those ahead of time and with a natural disaster you don't really have to worry about how the players are reacting because it's gonna happen I mean, it's a natural disaster it just <laughs> it just happens and it's the player's problem after that right yeah yeah uh so yeah. that's just going and they have to deal with it um and just like getting all those things lined up it, it lets you have to think a little less at the table you don't have to consider it um and i think it should also be something probably in your bullet list like here are the moves that could happen whether whether it's for your specific monster or not yeah because um i like i kind of know when like when the players are leading the scene i have no problem like doing improvisation but but if the players are you know like discovering a thing that i have set out for them then like it's my responsibility to make sure that all of the information is ready and that i don't have to be like wait i don't remember what i wrote and stuff so so they can just get it and uh, I did want to say that, like, um, about the whole, like, not predicting what your players uh, will do, but, like, I think that with that, there's a distinction between uh, trying to predict what they will do versus knowing what they can do. And so when I'm setting up uh, problems, I will kind of skim their playbooks and uh, look at it and, and think, okay, well, I mean, I remember that this player chose this ability. I wonder, I mean, if I put this problem in their way, then they could choose to do to do that, like give them the opportunity to, to, uh, to do certain things, but I won't expect them to do it necessarily. I had something I completely forgot. Oh my gosh. I was just about to say something. Mm-hmm. I'll have to cut this out. You should have written editing. it down and really prepared okay. for this. Bullet points. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, 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 I remember. Um, I think it also depends on the type of game you're playing too, because yes, there are some much. games where you have to do a lot more prep work. I'm thinking like yeah. mystery detective mystery games where the clues are important. Yeah, but there's like a like a lot of intrigue and you God. have to like spread you have to like plant evidence and it has to point somewhere. And if you want red herrings, you have to do that. And if you have to want to come up with like puzzles and stuff, you have to do that too. Like yeah. yeah, like those tend to be very like challenging to run for that reason. But I really do like kind of sprinkling in like little clues. Um 
Oh, that's my yeah. favorite thing to do. I it's my one of my favorite things to do too. One of my favorite detective games is a game called Baker Street. It's a Sherlock Holmes role playing game, and you have cards that have clues and things on them. But some of the clues are red herrings, and then some of the leads on the clues are also false. And you have to come with up with all of that before you sit down and play. So there's a lot of work ahead of time. But then the more again, the more work you do ahead of time, the less work you're doing at the table. You you already have the clues lined up. The players are going to re- react to the clues, talk about the clues and discuss them. You're just kind of facilitating that at at the table at that point. Um, and I, I, I feel like that's it's really true, especially like as a teacher, I plan out activities for my students. Some of them might not work out, but if I don't plan anything, I'm gonna be running around not knowing. You have a class of like 30 bored children (laughs) who are just yeah who who are and when children are bored they get into trouble and yes (laughs) when players are bored they're not going to get into trouble but they're not going to have fun yeah that's also just not a great feeling for me as the GM because like the whole point is that they have fun um yeah can I tell you and I everybody everybody has so much We're to say. Yeah. <laughs> um can i tell you about my favorite tool that i ever had this was years and years and years ago before i owned a laptop um for actually doing the planning um and maybe th- i'm sure they're probably still out there at the time i had never seen anything like it i was blown away and i bought it kind of on a like i can probably use this and it was a notebook spiral bound notebook where every page there was a line right down the middle and half of the page was lined for writing and half of the page was completely blank for for sketching and drawing and whatnot and i used that like that was all i used for an entire like whenever you hear me whenever you hear me talk about like that two-year deadlands campaign that that was it it was like that that notebook was that whole campaign um because i could i was in um, just out of school at the time it was easy for me to carry it around with me i didn't have a computer um and it, it and it afforded me the way to like to, to write stuff out and do bullet points and whatnot, but also I could like sketch little things. I could draw little maps. I'm showing distances between places. And like, like I want to, I've got a cool idea for an encounter location. I want to make sure I just kind of draw it out so that in my head I can describe it or I can put it on, you know, marker board or whatever. Um, uh, if, if that's, you know, if you're not doing prep, um, if, if you're doing prep analog style, that might be a good solution for you. They're, they're, I'm sure they're out mm-hmm. there somewhere. Um, it blew me away when I found it back in like the late nineties. <laughs> You know what? I can see that. I lo- I do like a nice notebook. Um, I do. I would keep a binder. Um, a a long time ago, I haven't done this in a very long time, but I used to keep a binder that I could stick new papers into. So I'd have my maps. I'd have like notes on characters. I'd have notes on, on um like the cities or the places that they were going to. And it was all just a binder, so I could take it out and move things around as needed or add things as needed. Um, that was very helpful for me too. I still use binders as a teacher in the same way. Mm. I've stolen that from yeah. my from my early D and D GMing game days. Uh, uh, I'm a millennial and I use Google Drive. So <laughs> I also use Google Drive. All sorts but... of uh, approaches. I'm sure you'll find <laughs> yeah. one listener. I'm sure you'll find one that works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, another thing I found like about the whole mystery. Th- um concept i've found that um like if i need to like i tend to front load uh, a lot of information and so like as we get to like the tail end of the of the arc so to speak then i there's much less prep for me to do because the more more of it relies on player decisions and so i mean i just wrapped up one and like the last three sessions i was like i actually have nothing planned it just depends on what you do um like you have all the information you need to make your decisions and i will react accord- accordingly like i have a good sense of who the npcs are um i have stuff that's, uh, that's lined up it just depends on what you want to do about it I think those kinds of games too can really lend themselves to like the tropes and they already have the specific plot beats that you're going to hit. And that also takes out some of the work. You have the expectations that you're going to, like if you're playing a Sherlock Holmes detective game at the yeah, end, you're going to catch the guy or yeah, you're going to catch the culprit. And you're and, going to explain yeah. all the clues at the end. Like that is a thing you're going mm-hmm. to do. Um, and it, it builds itself in into it in a way that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that there's a lot of games that can kind of go with those types of story beats. Um, horror horror games also have those certain types of story beats. Like there there's a very clear line of action um, and thinking about where you are in that. You know, going back to your language arts 
school days like you think about your plot point here's where the climax is here's the denouement and then like whatever else you end up whatever else you end up doing should follow along maybe somewhere along there in the general arc of things and uh just taking some time to reflect maybe sometimes during the session or sometimes before or after the session um like where are we and what should happen next uh just it just makes it a little easier when it's not super chaotic yes what about is there is there like we we talked a lot about the administration there's one point of administration that i think is really important and that's where are you going to play and what what needs to be set up for that in a physical sense um a lot of gms i know have their game run at their own home instead of somewhere else um what what does the ideal game session space in person look like and what should the gm be responsible for or not responsible for um i don't know when i back when i was playing in person it was was it the same person's apartment because they were the they were they had the space and uh, they also had air conditioning which i didn't have at the time and that was really important when we were playing in the summer um the expectation was that the gm would um like well i don't know we were using we didn't have a like a map but we had like the the gm had a whiteboard and would draw the grid on it every time and like would have would have letters with a dry erase thing and so every time we wanted to move we would say i want to move to that square and then like uh he would erase the letter and then move it to the square that we said and uh like would write our names and like like our letters and the um enemies letters in different colors so we could remember who was on what team um so the the gm bring those kinds of tools but uh all of the players were expected to come like contributing a snack because we would kind of just have snacks throughout because i don't know if you're playing a game for like six hours then you're going to get hungry we would just snack throughout and then kind of take a take an hour break for dinner and we would order pizza um everyone kind of chipped in for that but yeah i mean the players are just kind of like my expectations for the players are that they kind of come to the table be on time uh know what their characters do like that kind of stuff but um the gm kind of has the supplies and uh, i don't know i think that that is uh something that like that is something that people are aware of in the tabletop space people are always like oh it's the gm's responsibility to like buy all the books and know all of the things and have all the equipment and you know like most of the people that are going to buy your products are going to be gms so like that's just kind of how it goes at the moment i think the the caveat to that the exception to that is if you are playing at a convention game i think as the gm mm, yeah that's that's a different thing too yeah, yeah you have I've to make sure yeah you really need okay yeah like literally everything is on the gm at a convention uh you have to know what you're doing i've run yeah i ran games at a convention for the first time last year um it was really fun i liked it I had to arrange for, because I was doing it for work, I had to arrange for uh, my workplace to physically send me like the maps and I had to tape them together, make sure that everyone had like a character sheet by their um, by their place. I needed to buy pencils, notebooks and stuff. Um, like and I had sets of dice for the players to yeah, use as dice. well. And I had a GM screen. I had like everything. So And then you also need to make sure that you yourself are prepared. You got to have your water ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> I had my little like kind of paper standees that I kind of cut out and had to like glue together like the night before and take them all in a bag. <laughs> like, yeah. And and a timer too, because your convention I games have... are, yeah. I like to have a timer like on my phone or something. So mm -hmm. I know. I didn't have a timer but, where I uh, am yeah it's 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 a lot easier um I feel like like you have a little bit more flexibility in your own personal home games to go over or under time at a convention game they've probably play uh, they paid yeah for no you slot, you know yeah they they might have paid for the slot or like someone else needs the table when you're done with it you have to finish 10 minutes early so you have time to like clear the table and everyone else can get set up um yeah i usually try to um like i think for that i had like um i had four hours uh, i was given a four hour slot so i made sure that the players had like a kind of half hour and i would go over their characters with them because we we're playing with uh, pre-generated characters um and like that just tends to speed like uh kind of streamline things a lot better if you have pre-gens i i think that that it it does unless the game you sh you are like trying to demonstrate what the character creations yeah like. if that like that's it yeah i guess it depends on what the game is and what the purpose of it is and, like if you're trying to do a play test and you and the idea is that you walk the players through all of the steps then that's um yeah, I guess that's just kind of up to the GM to decide how they want to use their time. Um, but I figured that if we could, um, if we finished early, then like the players would either like have extra time to do the next thing or they would want to stay behind and tell me what they thought of the game. Like some of like my first table did that. Um, so that, that was nice. Mm -hmm. um, GM surveys sometimes too. 
um i i have had if it's a play test you want uh yeah you want players feedback about like hey was there anything you felt (laughs) didn't work was there a thing you didn't like stuff like that (laughs) it's i always feel like so at, at gen con i i don't know what ended up happening i lost my character sheets for one of the games i was running and oh no nothing was open for printing because it was a sunday Mm, um yeah so all of like the the fedexes were closed and i was like i don't know what i'm going to do i <laughs> i felt like so unprepared i felt it felt so chaotic and like just like i feel like no matter how much you prepare as a dm no matter what like you don't know what your players are going to do you don't know what's going to happen to you or you're going to be like me and you lose your character sheet somewhere or they don't get printed and now you have to figure out something else but i mean guess when it comes down to it you gotta have to also have a healthy go with the flow sense and 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 be a be a problem solver on your feet i think that's the biggest skill you can have as a gm is to to stay cool in a chaotic situation <laughs> as much as possible. So what did you end up doing about the character sheets? I had them, um, I had them, I showed them in the book. This is what it looks like. And I said, here's some paper. We are going to play a watered down version of this where you are just going to keep track of it on your piece of paper. This is what it's supposed to look like. So you know, it's <laughs> supposed to be there. Um, it wasn't great, but it worked. It worked for them. <laughs> so yeah, luckily it wasn't something like, like the character sheets aren't, most of it's just you adding the information anyway. So there's not like a list of a bunch of things you have to check. Yeah, in. it's more just like the layout and like if like right. if it's easier to to tell people like, hey, here's the space for where you keep track of this stat and here is like where you can write down these other notes. And it's just, yeah, it's nice. And then some of the players took pictures on their phone. They're like, I'm going to take a picture on my phone and I'm going to use that. And then just I will copy yeah. it into the, yeah. And yeah, that, that worked works. out for them too. Um, yeah. In the future, that won't be happening because I'm going to double check that I have everything. <laughs> before i even yeah. go to until the until it happens again <laughs> oh, well it will happen again because i i am my brain will forget things it's just the way that my mm-hmm. brain works yeah, and i have to I've learn how there. to live with that <laughs> <laughs> well, i feel like like yeah just like the administrative side there's so much uh what else do we have to do like when either before or after a session what do we have other big big things before we wrap up this uh this section of our, this segment of our podcast for today. I I think it's handy if, uh, if you improvise a lot during the game um, and you're going to be kind of coming up with some things on the fly. um, If you're that type of GM. You're kind of inevitably going to do that. Right. Um, But, but there, there, there are people who like practically zero prep and they literally just, you know, they know the game so well, they make up things on the. Yeah. Oh, in that case, I mean, they're going to develop develop storylines and all this sort of thing, but it it can be useful to have, um, you know, like, Sebastian, you, you you use the word decompression elsewhere, but like you know, at the end of the game session, like let's have a brief decompression. Let's recap, do a brief recap of this thing, and um, and I've done that when I knew that I just like I created, I did a bunch of stuff, and I'm gonna lose track of this. I got to write it down right away, and I want to make sure I don't forget anything now. So I asked the players, like, let's go around real quick and like, what happened today? Let's all get it in our heads and like, and th- had them tell me what they just did, um, and then I didn't have to talk. And I just wrote down and when they said, oh, and, and then we, you know, this NPC came, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I invented this person on the spot right now. I got to make sure, you know, the, clearly this NPC is going to become important or like it's, they're with the character, right? The characters right now, I got to make sure that I, you know, utilize them in the next game session. I don't want to forget about them and just keeping track of those sorts of things. So there's like little, um, like instead of doing the prep beforehand, you're kind of doing prep immediately after the game that you just, yeah, if you improvise a lot. Yeah, last uh, last session we arrived in a new area, and so like after I'd given like a big rundown of like the various um, kind of subdivisions of where they could go, um, at the end of the session I was like, okay, so which areas do you want to explore? And all of them were like, we want to go to this place, and I'm like, okay, cool, I will make sure to have something prepared for this place next time. But um, I generally don't need, I don't struggle with remembering what happened because my games are recorded. So, um, and I do have, I'm fortunate to have one player who does take very detailed notes about what happened. Like she'll actually listen to the recording again and like write down stuff. I don't do that. Um, I just tend to have a summary in like like the campaign timeline that I have that I read out at the start of every session. So then the players have the recap, but um, yeah, I find that that really works for me. 
Ha- and yeah. it means that if I'm preparing next time, I can like go back to the recording and be like, oh, I remember that I invented this NPC. I don't remember what their name was, but I can go back and find it in the recording. There are other tools out there too. Obsidian Portal is like a wiki for your own game. Yeah, like- I mean, people like use World Anvil and stuff like that. Like there's uh, lots of options. I I definitely am using like notion and stuff if they want for little notion hub yeah i'm definitely on board with the you need someone who's taking notes or you need a recording because there's a lot going on at the table and then also it gives you an idea of what the players think is important i like to ask my players okay you are going to recap for us um and frame it as like, like okay how much do you remember what did you get out of it and sometimes you'll be surprised what they remember um that they found to be really important that you didn't really find to be all that important um, and then you can use that too in the game. Like, oh, they thought that that was, that was very interesting, um, but they might not have even, they might have thought that you thought it was important and that's why they're picking up on it. Kind of gives you a cue into how you're Yeah, it is nice to get their input from that perspective. Um, yeah, that's kind of what we use like stars and wishes for because that also does tell me what they found memorable. So I've done that, that whole thing at the beginning of the game where um, we're going to, you know, like when last we left our intrepid band, this is what, had just happened and then have the players describe it um i think i I think i did that with you all when we ran when i ran code warriors for you um and then i would fill in gaps if you missed something because i wanted to make sure that you remembered something but otherwise it helped me to like oh where did they you know like it helps it's part of the stars and wishes thing like you're seeing them like they're mentioning the things like they're they're not sometimes they're just kind of describing everything that happened but like they might stop and kind of make a big deal out of this thing just happening and it's like clearly that kind of hit for them and so you want to make sure that you pay that off or bring that back or whatever yeah i think just like the last thing that i would say to close this out is that there are a lot of there are a lot of tools out there to help gms prep for sessions that's there's so much more tools out there for yeah, a lot of people gms yeah. than there are for players so you know random tables of of encounters or monsters or items or names and there's all sorts of tools out there that will help make the preparation easier for you or make the improvisation at the table easier for you just because it's there's a list you can hit random and go or you can select <laughs> something from the li- this list and go or you can find a whole adventure online for your game system and just go with that instead and not have to do a lot of that prep work up front especially if you're a very busy individual um and you're just doing kind of a casual small campaign some people your style is you want to make everything from scratch you don't want to have to like rely on anything else but uh i think i feel like especially if you're playing you know, a fantasy game, there's nothing out there that hasn't been done. You can find it out there for free yes. or for, for you know, for a decent price um, it, that exists. Well, any other final thoughts? No, I think I've gotten through all of the points I wanted to convey. I hope <laughs> that this helps people prepare yeah. their sessions. Lots and lots of options. Um, experiment, figure out what works for you. Um, maybe you've got a, a method in place and you just heard something like, oh, that might, I might be able to incorporate that. You might want to adjust and try something. There you go. Uh, we have a mini topic to end the <laughs> podcast with today. It's a po- it's a topic I'm very passionate about, and that is fonts or typefaces. What, what typeface and font should you use for your game as a designer or your adventure as a designer? I am a huge typography nerd. Um, I am I am a casual typography nerd. I don't know all that much. I'm not a super. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I do I do love it. I love that design. Um, and uh, Sebastian, what's what's your what's your typography experience? Um, honestly, uh, I'm not like graphic design is not my passion. I wish I could I could say that I had a strong opinion, like. Visually, I really love uh, serif fonts, but uh, I, I understand that like accessibility guidelines today recommend sans serif because it's because e- it's more readable. Uh, so, I mean, my main experience with it has just been like legal stuff. I will go on online looking for a font, and I like even if uh, I don't know what what is it like daft font or whatever like says that it's a free font, you still need to kind of click through all of the links and find the source. And if like on the, you know, the creator's website, it says, hey, don't use this for commercial purposes or what have you, then like that means you can't use it for commercial purposes, even if like the listing says that it's free. Um, That's mainly been my um, experience. So I don't know, I just don't want to get like accidentally use someone's uh, font without their permission. 
um, or like just get into any trouble about it. Yeah, reading the license is yeah, really I tend important. to use like Google fonts or something because uh, like most of those are um, are available for commercial use. So Google fonts are, I think, I think all of Google fonts are available for commercial use just for free. Yeah. Um, and, and like, there are a lot of options. And so like the chances are there is something out there that, and then like, you know, you can download the whole font family and what have you. So like, I'm a really big fan of using, of, of using that. Like the worst thing is like, if I kind of find a really nice font, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like totally the right vibe. And then I find out I can't use it. It's kind of devastating. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah I'm not going to get <laughs> too attached for like, to the font, but yeah, other than that, I'm just like, I mean, the head, like the header font is, is, is important because that's where the vibes happen. And like the body font just has to be readable. I, I, you know, definitely readability is a huge thing. I have read through a lot of like physical TTRPG books that are, you can't read them because of the font choice or sometimes the background yeah. behind the font. Like it's or too if, busy. Yeah. Like the layout is like, uh, you know, it's too cramped and there's no space and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no. I see a lot of people mess around with like the kerning of their fonts or like the the leading of their fonts. So the kerning is like the amount of space between the characters. The themselves. space between the characters, yes. And then the leading is the space between the space lines. Between the lines, yeah. And people will mess around with that um out outside of the default. You have to be very careful. Um, because even if you think it looks cool and good, you have to zoom out, you have to print it, you have to look at it, you have to give it to somebody else. You have to give it to someone else to proofread and be like, Can you read that? I remember yeah. for Moonpunk, because I had used a lot of, you know. For Moonpunk, there were a lot of punk fonts I was looking at to try to use. Um, but when it came down to it, the actual text font had to be readable. Uh, and I tried to do some fancy thing where I had like the font crooked and I was looking at it and my husband was looking at the the papers I had printed out and he said, I don't know why, but I feel sick. I feel nauseous while I'm looking at this. Is this sideways? And I said, yeah, I made it a little crooked. I'm going to fix it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was so upset yeah. that my font choice made him feel nauseous. I was like, that's, oh, I was really attached to this. <laughs> um, but the read, like, you want someone to, you want someone to be able to read your game, preferably without feeling sick to their stomach. Um, and that's also why the, the serif fonts are important, too. Uh, if you have a PDF, um, you can and, and you, zoom in. Yeah. Yeah, you can do also like an accessible version of your whole game too. like the design. Um, if you, you if you're in like printer yeah. friendly black and white with like, you know, hover over it, it gives you the image description. You can tag it, bookmark it, all of that good stuff. And Cap- that's... Caper, Capers has that. We had that treatment done via a, a Kickstarter run by Todd Crapper, where he did a did it for a bunch of games. Time uh, Time Watch Capers got it. I think there's a couple other games that are getting it. Where there's the normal version as de- designed, then there's a, a completely grayscale black and white version. All the images have um, text, you know, alternate text. Um, and then there's an accessible text version and you just you can flip between layers mm. in the PDF reader yeah. uh, to get all of that. It is um, I'm going to warn you. Um, I didn't do it myself, but I heard the stories from Todd. It is incredibly time intensive Yeah. Um, because you're basically kind of relaying out every page. Like in, yeah, um, because you have to, you know, like, and it's a lot of testing up front to find like, okay, you want an accessible font that also kind of fills the page the same amount um, and doesn't do weird stuff like start to create what they call widows and orphans, which is like little tag, like one, one word or two word like things that are sitting at the top of a column like by itself. One line by itself. Yeah. yeah this, this, this should be attached to a paragraph. Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you find yourself having to like, after you've laid everything out with, the, the initial design now you're going to do an accessible version as well if you if you if you want that um you know both versions then like you're you're spending all that time doing um and you're even more in the set when you do it the second time you are more constrained because now you have this is what has to fit on the page and how can i make that fit on the page um so be wary but it's all it's all doable it just it, it's going to take time and if you're hiring um a uh, a layout person it's going to take more money because they're going to spend more time yeah it it is from a like if you change just one thing about your your font so the font is everything that goes into like it's the size it's the kerning it's the leading it's all of that whereas the typeface is just like the what you would call the what a lot of people just call the font like times new roman is a type styling Yeah. yeah um but times new roman size 12 is a font um if you change one thing about the font, everything else can move around on the page, just even like very subtly. And there are some, 
there are some typefaces that look like they're very similar, but you add them and uh, something that's one page typically is a, one, a page and a half when you change the font. Um, yes, and... they're all different sizes in there. Yeah, it's a whole thing. And and looking uh, at yes. the TTF file, when you double click mm -hmm. on the true type file and you get like the list of like, here's all the letters and numbers and symbols and what it looks like, that doesn't tell you the whole story because you need to put it into text because we were talking about the kerning and the letting. Like you could have like, oh, these two fonts look very, very similar and this one's free and this one's not. So I'm going to use the free one. So I'm happy with that. And then you go in there and you put it on there and suddenly it's like, bam, your manuscript just goes wild because it's suddenly longer or shorter or, um, you know, you're let, you've got weird, you know, if it was designed by somebody that isn't necessarily like a professional font designer, maybe they're just learning. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why it's free. Um, like they might have weird kerning things where like, you know, you know, lowercase K's are way too close to other mm -hmm. uh, vertical strokes. And, you know, it like, you never know. And then you find yourself like, am I going to, do I love this font enough to fix that stuff <laughs> line by line, letter by letter, or do I keep looking and find something else? Or do I pay the money for the other one? Or it doesn't have all the special characters that you need. I had uh, to do that. I had to do that on my last on, yeah. on Caper Cyberpunk. Yeah, I know that there's like some kind of downloadable <laughs> font editor that you can do. Um, I don't know what the permissions are for that either. Um, like if you're allowed to edit someone else's font, but uh, it depends on the license. Yeah, it depends on the license. And the like, license that's will tell you. I would be concerned about, but yeah, some licenses like, will be literally. They'll say you know, like you can fold, spindle, and mutilate this font all you want. Just mm -hmm. um, if you publish it, give credit. You know those types of things. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, that, that that literally happened. I was uh, uh, the you'll see the title font that's used in the chapter titles and on the on the front of the book for Caper Cyberpunk. Um, Anita Weeby, my graphic designer, created that font um, and we were kind of and she did all the letters and numbers. Um, and then I was like, I need an ampersand. <laughs> so I had to go back and she, I, every so often I found I needed something and I would have to go bugger and say like, Hey, I need another thing. Give me a new version of the font with this thing in there. Because in the capers, um, game books, I have this tendency. I've done it on four previous books, five previous books where I say something and something, but I use ampersand because it looks old timey and capers is set in the 1920s. And I did a lot of, I made a lot of design decisions that were old timey, um, including the font choices, um that have carried through so i was like well we got to make this like ampersand that kind of fits this weird cyberpunky font that you've made it's um, nice to have a something prepared customized. for all of that hyphens and semicolons and like i do notice trends in typography for games uh the font barbaro used to be incredibly incredibly popular barbaro is a google font um it's a beautiful sans serif font um with uh it's like all caps. It's lovely. Um, and that used to be super popular. A lot of people were using that. Um, there was another one I can't remember off the top of my head that used that was popular like a year before that. And now the font that I'm noticing all the time is Sinzel or variations thereof of Sinzel, uh, another Google font. Uh, and that one has like a nice, it has like cool swoopy lines and it has a decorative version and then non-decorative version and i'm seeing it used a lot especially in like fantasy games um it's kind of like a like baby names like oh i want to this is so unique and i don't see anyone else using this now but everyone else is having the same idea and now everybody's baby is named <laughs> emma or olivia and uh or or um or Emerson, that's another common one right now. Like everyone's <laughs> using the same thing. Um, you have to, you have to uh, make sure that the font is not the only thing that's making your whole project look unique. You need other elements in there that are looking unique too. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that people use the same font. Obviously, um, a lot of us want to get some typefaces that are free because uh, that's just another cost. Um, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in a time where I didn't even have to think about that. The only fonts I had access to were whatever was on Microsoft Word or in the <laughs> Word yeah. art. Um, but now like there's this huge like amount of stuff people are putting out all the time um, that, uh, you know, I, I still kind of just want a, a free font. I will and have uh, paid for fonts in the past uh, when I was mm, working. I have to. Yeah, but when I was working on uh, the student newspaper, um, when I was the advisor for our student newspaper, we would sometimes buy a font. I was like, "This is perfect for what we're doing. It cost a dollar. Let's just buy it." 
And then you have it. Then you have it forever. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, that was nice, too, working on the student newspaper because it wasn't for commercial purposes. We were not selling the newspaper. It It also wasn't your money, assumedly, like you had a budget (laughs) um, if you were funded by student levy or something. Right. Uh, It's different. Like like Sebastian said, you do have to look for you have to look through the license. And sometimes these font aggregator sites like the font or a thousand and one fonts like the free ones. They will have things uploaded on there that were not supposed to be uploaded on there for whatever reason. Um, the same thing goes for stock art, too. Like, all the same cautions you take with stock art, you should take with um, your fonts. Yes. Just typefaces. try to try to look look for uh, look for the actual original source. I, I love Creative Commons, though. Please, please keep uploading <laughs> your fonts on a Creative Commons. Keep uploading your stuff on a Creative Commons. I need them so I can make my cheap indie games uh, that can go out to more people. And if you find a font um, and it says that the commercial license costs some money and then it gives you a link to go play to a place to pay that money and that link is broken, that does not mean the font is no. now free. No, it doesn't. Yeah. You, it means It means you have Google at your... Uh, disposal and you can google and try to find where that person <laughs> yeah. is taking like, payment yeah. and if they are not then that, that font is effectively off the market even though it exists on the internet because we all know plenty of things get put up on the internet and then disappear but they're still kind of also still on the internet someplace you mean that if the barcode doesn't scan at the grocery store the food isn't you free? the food isn't free <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i I have a curse where I, I use a font in my game and then I see it out in the wild. Um, there's the local ballet. The, one of the local ballets keeps using Sinzel as their advertisement font. I'm like, oh, I know that font. I see it on the bus. <laughs> Here it is. Um, but uh, yeah, especially because I like to try to get a unique font. It, I try like, to figure out what the trends are so I can buck the trend. I'm not good at bucking the trends. I always end up in the trend. <laughs> <laughs> um Sebastian this has been fun thank you for talking with us about prepping for GM yeah. sessions and a little bit about thank you for having me anytime uh what do you have to plug what are your what's what's going on in your life and your professional oh, life? gosh uh when is this uh when is this episode going to air two Thursdays um, from now two Thursdays from now okay um the Fable Makers uh, Deck of Many Things is on Kickstarter. It's a really beautiful uh, deck of many things. It's also an Oracle deck. It is illustrated by Yoshi Yoshitani. It's really, really beautiful. And the cards are foil. I wrote for the guidebook and I wrote a bunch of new mechanics for the deck of many things. So if you want something that's a, it's different, uh, go and get that. Definitely, it's kickstarting right now. That's a great way to help you prep for a GM session. Yeah, seriously. Okay, yeah, I gave one of my <laughs> one of my players the deck of many things, and I was hoping that she would use it, but she's probably just gonna sell it. And I'm like, okay, I guess you could find something, and here's a hundred thousand gold. Then, <laughs> like, I, I'm gonna break the economy, but just like, I, I don't know she's my most chaotic player, and I really wanted her to use it, but we'll see, we'll see. She just she has it. So, but yeah, seriously, uh, use that to prep for your GM sessions. But also, just like I don't know, use the like, just look at the cards. They're really pretty. There are two decks. One of them is in color. One of them is in monochrome. It's really, really, really stunning. Like, also, uh, I mean, I guess will Big Bad Con be happening by then? I that's don't... November, right? No, that's uh, that's at the end of this. Oh my gosh, uh, it's September twenty eighth. So November. I guess. Oh uh, yeah, you should be out. Would have then. happened. Okay. Like. Yeah, well, I mean, you might be on your way. You might be on your way to Big Bad Con. I might be on my way to Big Bad Con. Okay, yeah. Um, (laughs) In which case, yeah, please, um, if you're at Big Bad Con, say hello to me. I'm on like five different panels. Um, Also, you should subscribe to my newsletter. I'm Sebastian Ua at Substack, like dot Substack dot com. That's a new thing that I have. I'm trying to write about the tabletop industry and stuff. Uh, My first post is out. It's about pitching to a publisher. If you're interested in publishing your a game with a publisher yes excellent uh spell your whole name so people know how to find you yes i usually do that uh s-e-b-a-s-t-i-a-n-y-u-e all one all one thing i'm sebastian ua like literally everywhere twitter blue sky that's just my name you can find yep. me everywhere at Joska uh on twitter or blue sky or um the other places that i've i've tried to check out um, to see if I can get off Twitter finally. I have a Kickstarter landing page for the Coven of PS13. It is a game where it's a GMless game 
which is the Mean Girls meets the Craft. You play teenage witches, teenage girls doing their teenage high school stuff during the day and at night creating a dark ritual together for the night of the full moon. Go check that out. Uh, and I am at Nerdburger Craig on all of the uh, socials. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com. My games are at Drive RPG. Um, however, if you're looking to get Capers stuff um, and you're also interested perhaps in the Capers Cyberpunk Kickstarter, which is going on right now, um, all of the other Capers stuff are add-ons for that um, and for cheaper. And uh, ultimately, when you're when you're adding them on, less shipping because everything is going to ship together rather than paying for shipping seven times for seven products. Um, so, uh, check that out. Um, we are right now going through stretch goals, trying to get a bunch of adventures written by some really wonderful designers. One of whom is, I don't know, maybe on this podcast right yeah. now. Who knows? <laughs> Could be me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to keep rolling on that. So check it out on Kickstarter. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs, and thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.